Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers, with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon. Today's episode is brought to you by the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, Division of Predictive Analytics, keeping you safer than you need to know. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy with your host, Ben Siders. That's me, and the other guy is, as always, Kirk Damon. That's Kirk, as in the captain of the Enterprise. Uh, We are lawyers and certified geeks in St. Louis, Missouri, and we're here to talk to you about geek things uh, in the law. Yep, that's pretty much if you listen to any of our episodes, it's what we do every time, although we are going to change the format on you a little bit today. Yeah, the format's different today for two reasons. One, we have a special guest, Billy McAuliffe, who is in the studio with us today, and she's going to talk to us about things we don't know anything about, uh, which is most things, but one specific thing she's going to talk to us about is uh, data privacy. The other reason for the format change is that uh, we forgot to bring our notes, so we're just kind of winging notes, it today. Notes, Oh, yeah, we usually have some notes, not that we pay much attention to them, no, but we, have we some, totally forgot them today. We have some minimal structure in case we get to that point, which almost never happens with Kirk and I, where we look at each other and nobody has anything to say. I don't think that's happened yet, but uh, there's only the first time once. for everything. Yeah, it might have happened once. I don't know as to what it is. But yeah, so um, hopefully, you know, for those of you who are used to the structure, this is not too deviant and too weird. Um, <laughs> but definitely, we're going to sort of pop right in immediately on our topic. We'll do our usual fun stuff, talk about movies, things like that. But we're going to put it at the end of the show. Yeah, Billy has to run. So we're going to make sure she gets her piece before, yep. uh, before we talk, geek out about uh, the Mandalorians and all these other cool <laughs> things that are coming out. Speaking of which, though, we should have Billy introduce herself and uh, give you a little intro. Hi, guys. Hello. I'm, <laughs> I'm Billy McAuliffe. I am I'm also a member at Lewis Rice here in St. Louis. I am the practice group leader for the Corporate Information Technology Group, which encompasses data privacy. That's Very cool. cool. <laughs> a lot of words there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, so we thought we'd start with sort of, we've, we've done a couple episodes recently, for those of you who have been paying attention, on uh, rights of publicity, which, if, if I recall correctly, is like an offshoot of, of general privacy law. Is that Correct. right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, and Charlotte was here to talk about that, but you focus more on what I kind of think of as the new world of privacy, which is mostly data privacy and things like that. Yeah. It relates to information about me or you as a person. So my name, my address, maybe my uh, social security number, or for sure my bank accounts and other information like that. But it also, more recently, probably in the last two or three years, has expanded to pretty much anything that could be used to trail back to identify me as a natural human person. So that could be like my IP address or... um, you know, under new laws, even my water bill that is specific to my household is considered <laughs> personal data and oh protectable. My goodness, okay. Whether or not your name is on it? Whether or not my name is on it. I'm not sure what that says. As I always say, <laughs> it just says that we water our lawn a lot and my, one of my sons takes really long showers. Oh, yeah. yeah so my, we have that problem emerging now, too. My, my daughter took a shower this morning before I did and I got in. There was no hot water. Left. I don't think that's yeah. a new thing. Yeah, we had to turn the, hot water, the water temperature up a, a year or so ago. <laughs> my kids still take baths, but the problem with it is is we have two bathtubs, one of which is the large one in the master bedroom mm-hmm. that my daughter likes. Of course. Um, and so that Bath requires <laughs> yeah, <laughs> three times as much water. Um, oh, yeah. as the Didn't they do the back and forth thing to manufacture the tidal waves? Uh-huh. And, yeah, yeah. She could just turn the whirlpool on, but she's decided that, you know, that's just scary. So. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about uh, sort of privacy law writ large, like, like where it came from, because I, you know, going through law school, you, this is one of those things you don't study too terribly much unless you happen to take, you know, like individual rights, I guess. Uh, but we didn't really have a lot in the way of privacy laws in the country until hundred years ago, maybe? I'm not sure where it all kind of started. Probably. Well, you know, uh, the right of privacy is talked about a lot with maybe a topic we don't want to talk about, and that would be the abortion question. That's the main way it comes up constitutionally. And and so, right. And so, um, this is not related to that, right? (laughs) I am not a constitutional lawyer. I never claimed to be. These are recent statutory um, provisions that have been passed beginning mostly outside of the U.S., and now are coming to the U.S. Uh, Historically in the U.S., we had only uh, specific privacy statutes related to very specific information that could be used to steal your identity. So, um, or 
use to protect your health information. Most people have re- gone to the doctor. That's HIPAA, and, right? Right, HIPAA. Yeah. And received those privacy policies that no one has read and they always sign off that they're fine. Well, those those laws were meant to protect your information related to your health um, situation. Those somewhat arose out of people discriminating against people with AIDS and other things mm-hmm. like that. Um, they were... There were somewhat before that, but that's really where they took off. Another way in which those were kind of sold to people were the, you know, your husband or your spouse couldn't have that information as a way of protecting abused spouses who might be in the hospital and wanting to get away from those people. And so Mm. those things have always been there or have been there for the last 20 years or so. Those are all federal laws, right? Those are federal laws. The states do have some laws. Those have really come out. Also, about in the last twenty years, and those are identifi- those are identity theft kind of laws, and so they protect and give you only notice should information that could be used to steal your identity be stolen. So almost all of us got caught in either the Target security breach or the Equifax security breach or one of those. Mm-hmm. Mar- right? Marriott now is the one Marriott. that just which I think all of, like, everybody's caught in for what they're trying to yeah. say. LinkedIn have one a couple <laughs> years ago, too. Yeah, there's been yeah. a lot of them. There have been a number of them, a number of large ones. And so we've all gotten notice that says at some time in the recent past, someone took some of our data from our security. Supposedly secure location. <laughs> Supposedly and, being the important element <laughs> word here. <laughs> and um, they they could have stolen your identity. So you probably want to monitor and call the credit reporting agencies to make sure no one's taken and gotten a credit card in your name and those type of things. In the last two or three years, there's been a fundamental change. And that has come based upon a major change that happened in the European communi- community. And the EU passed in 2016 something called the General Data Protection Regulation. And this regulation has worldwide application because of a very broad jurisdictional provision in it, which I'm not going to bore you with. But basically, (laughs) if you do business or want to do business in the EU and you are a wholly owned uh, U.S.-based company, this law can apply to you because you're doing business. You've availed yourself of the European law because you're trying to work there, right? That does seem very broad. Like with the internet, who's not yeah. doing business, quote-unquote, in Europe at this point, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Um, but so what it says is that I, as an individual, have an inalienable right to control how my personal data is used. And so you have to tell me what you're going to do with it, and then... You have to have a real reason to do that, right? You have to have what they call a legitimate purpose. And so um, it has fundamentally changed how people are using data collected from persons in the the EU. So, um, for example, you know, a normal business here in the U.S. might get your information because you wanted to buy a shirt from them. So you put your email address and your your mailing address and your credit card information in there and they get your, you know, you get your sweater in response. And then they might use your email because we've all gotten them for marketing (laughs) purposes, right? (laughs) Well, under the, the new EU law, if I haven't, if you haven't given consent for that, you haven't directly said they could do that, um, for the most part, they can't. They have to tell you what they're going to do, and, they ha- and you have to consent to it. And when they tell you what you're going to do, I mean, when you say it has to be a legitimate purpose, I mean, marketing presumably is a legitimate purpose. I mean, they can yeah. say, I'm going to send you spam. That's still a legitimate purpose. But they have to, like, warn you ahead of time. <laughs> exactly. you know, we're we're going to do this, and then don't you, I mean, if I recall, because we talked about this before, you have to be able to say, no, I don't want that, and they have to exactly. stop, right? Exactly. Um, and, you know, it... It really, if you think of it more like an informed consent law, similar to informed consent you have to give before a doctor does surgery or, one, or you know, provides some treatment, if you think of it in those terms, it kind of starts to make sense. Because obviously my email is a viable interest of mine, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want everyone and every company sending me crap in my email. It already takes me like two hours to go through all that crap, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't want two more hours wasted <laughs> deleting crap. 
But Billy, there's very urgent messages you need to have about <laughs> products you desperately need. Yes. Free, free before <laughs> Christmas shipping. If only, you, if only you read your email, you'd know. <laughs> you'd know my Nigerian uncle really needs a business partner. <laughs> exactly. And so so that's, that's the largest portion of this new regulation. It also... Um, added something very unique in that individuals have rights with regards to their data. So I've given you your da- this data to buy my sweater, right? I'm giving my address and my name and my email address. Under this new regulation, I can call you up and say, yeah, you're done. I've already gotten my sweater. Delete my information. I don't want you to have it anymore. Mm-hmm. And you as a business would have to do that within a month. This is the the right to be forgotten. The yeah, right yeah. to be forgotten. Exactly. There are other rights, like if you incorrectly put my email address or incorrectly put my name, um, I could get you to fix it. Um, I, there are certain dispute resolution provisions and rights with regards to that. But really, the right to be forgotten is probably the most monumental. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the thing that I think is sort of so interesting about this, and again, I think it's time you know I'm going to diverge into science fiction here and into mm-hmm. some other areas of it. You know, we've had to deal with the idea of sort of violations of privacy. We talk about the fact that regulation of it, particularly for like digital data, I think that's relatively right. new. But like things that I think we, uh, you know, we all learned about in law school. You know, there's certain things the police can't use for evidence. You know, yeah. for example, like I mean, I remember, you know, they can't come and look in your window. You know, there's an idea, sort of an expectation of privacy. I think you know when you're in law school, you get the famous case of why can't they go through your trash? Yep. Yes. Um, you know, and the, the sort of you know things along those lines. We've always had this idea that sort of like we should have the ability to do things in. Private, and presumably we know that the people who are going to do something illegal are going to do it in private. You know, you're, you're not going to. Well, you know. if they're smart, but not all criminals are smart, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's you know you get into the ideas of you know I mean spycraft has been around since you know who knows how long. I mean I know I was just you know reading stuff on codes being used with conjunction with Mary Queen of Scots. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you've had sort of those types of things going on forever. Um, but what we're really seeing now is this idea that sort of says, not only is it that you can't spy on me, you can't sort of get this information from me, in the event that you do get this information I voluntarily by me, you have to make it go away. Yeah, I um, can stop you. Yeah, and it's kind of weird because we look at it and say, you know, hey, if I saw somebody, you know, doing something illegal in their house, I can't exactly forget that memory. But yet we have this idea now that we can electronically forget data. Well, what's interesting well, about it to me from a policy standpoint is, you know, I think historically in the country, we, we've not been afraid of facts and truth. It is yeah. what it is, right? So a lot of our, our you know, civil remedies for people saying things about us or, or having inf- access to information about us was, you know, defamation type laws. You can't go say things that are false. Yeah. And or you can't the, use it in court against you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then and then the privacy, you know, the privacy torts are more about things that I expected to be private and a reasonable expectation of privacy. You then can't go and publicize because that, you know, that's that's not right. But and um, now as we're, much as the Paparazzi would like those laws to go away. <laughs> but even then, like if they're if they're in public, I mean, they can climb public trees, or they can photograph you inside your property. I mean, it's it's publicly accessible, you know, uh, quote unquote information. I worry about that with like drones too. Like we're going to be running out of privacy spaces. But now we see, you know, we're seeing factual information or things that actually are you know actual data about us is now being misused to like the HIPAA is a good example where uh, people who had AIDS or if you just have like a mental illness. Yeah. You know, um, people can use that to discriminate in employment or in providing services. And then we're seeing after the Cambridge thing and the way that, um, you know, that our online profiles are being used and manipulated right. to control us. I mean, I think the interest in the, the public policy reasons for why we're so concerned about this are shifting as we get more and more AI and, and like bot type things. In fact, I just saw this morning, California has an anti-bot legislation. Have you guys seen this? No, I haven't. Yeah, you were just talking about that. We were talking about this morning. I haven't got a chance to read it yet, but they, I think they either have proposed or passed a law that will require consumers to be notified if they're communicating with a bot online and not a real person. <laughs> yeah. It's I just assume right? it is. So. <laughs> 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 That's I think is interesting about privacy is actually like when all the stuff came out about Facebook and you know, their idea they're using yeah. this profile. Yeah. One of the things that stunned me is that people didn't realize that this profile existed. I just sort of I, mean, I hadn't yeah. seen it, but I, I just assumed did, they yeah. were making one. I assumed that, well, I used you know? to work in IT, so I know what data is out there. I just assume they've got all kinds of stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think the Cambridge Analytics thing is really was the catalyst for most of the most recent change here in the U.S., right? People were very, and, and Facebook, people were very upset. Like you said, they didn't realize, or I think it's more they didn't even think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're, you know, it's not so much uninformed as purposefully uninformed. We still want the convenience mm-hmm. of being able to go online and get a sweater and have it delivered tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and I want to be able to do that. I want it to remember my credit card. I want it to remember my email address. I want it to remember all those things so that I can do it in the blink of an eye and have my sweater arrive tomorrow. Yeah, I know, I know one of the things we just talked about that we talked about the desire for convenience, and we bumped into it with the patent office, where the patent office, originally when they set up their electronic filing system, um, you filed everything electronically, everything went in, but you had to enter credit card information to pay every single time. And the reason was is just because it was a different system, but it was something that practitioners were out raged about. You know, why can't it remember my credit card information? Amazon we're can. ultimately lazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll right? do U.S. government, too. Yeah. Well, don't we're forget. all parents. We know. <laughs> we are lazy, and our kids are lazy. Yeah. Well, let's not forget, 20 years ago, it was the opposite. It was how, you know, when when Amazon One Click came out, yeah. everybody was appalled. Like, what? They're going to have my credit card number, and they're going to keep it? Yeah. I, I mean, people were, were very concerned about one that. One Click was a big issue when it came down. I mean, people kind of looking at the idea of saying, you know, wait a minute, how does it know all this stuff about me? Um, and then we very rapidly discovered that we like just being able to say, buy it now and have it show up on our yeah, door like, two days oh, later. It's easier? Right, exactly. Okay, then fine, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had to buy a new phone um, yesterday, and I had to re-enter all of my passwords. That's fun. Yeah, I <laughs> was a happy that? camper by the time I finished all that. And of course, you know, I couldn't remember half of them because I haven't inputted them in the last three years, probably. Oh, yeah. And so... Um, yeah, we have a general re- phenomenon, speaking of, of right to be forget, I don't know any phone numbers anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like well, actually, did you see that? There was a, there's a, uh, I think it might have been MacGyver, I can't remember which it was, but there's a TV show. Um, and that's actually one of the ways that they catch the person is he goes through and he's trying to basically make the person do a certain action. And they're like, well, why won't they call? And he's like, oh, because their phone is in the fish tank. So when they pull it out, it's not going to work. And you source the, in the, you're, as he's describing this, you're seeing the person do it. And they're like, yeah, but won't he just call? Yeah, there's another phone. There's a landline. Yeah, but he, and you see him pick up the landline. He's like, he doesn't remember the number. It's stored in the phone. <laughs> yeah. And so then he has to go and physically do what they're expecting him to do. And it's it's a great example. I actually just saw a thing as well um, this where they actually have just now commented about mapping software making us dumber. Oh, I don't know. Oh, doubt it. for sure. You know, there there is sure. that. We are not getting the spatial recognition because we're so used to point to point orientation. Like, we don't realize that these two points we go to are only a quarter of a mile apart from each other because we don't have the same special rec- spatial recognition we used to. Well, we were just watching Home Alone 2 the other day. And aside from <laughs> the fact that Donald Trump appears in it, which shocked my children, <laughs> there's a scene where he puts a credit card down and uses a mechanical, like, like oh, paper slider. Oh, yeah. And my kids are like, what is that? I'm like, so oh, that's how we had credit cards work before there was the internet. And they were like, there was a time before the internet? Like, you guys. Two years ago, we went to Denver and in the, you know, mall area on, I can't remember the street, but there was a, real, a payphone, an old payphone oh, yeah. that yeah. took coins, you know? And my kids were like, you put coins in there? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. What happened when they ran out of coins? I go, it hung you up. <laughs> you were done talking. That's what happened. <laughs> you had to finish your, your call. I think they gave you like 15 seconds or so. Yeah, the right oh, yeah. Before it ran out. And you never had the right change. <laughs> no. you know? like, I got a nickel. I can buy eight more seconds. Huh? Well, it was such a big deal when you could do stuff where, like, you, one, you could actually put credit cards into those. And then they oh, did, like, yeah. the 1010 cards and stuff oh, like yeah. that, you do know, you where you could prepay. remember your parents' you know, your calling card? You got their calling card and you had to have, like, a you know, an eight number pin. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When I was in law school, they still didn't take uh, credit cards at fast food places. Oh yeah. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. So when my husband and I lived in Japan, it was a cash-based society, right? And so no credit cards, nothing, and we had to carry cash. Can you imagine having to carry cash today? Yeah. Oh, drive me crazy. Yeah, be crazy. I keep like five bucks in my car for the occasional valet, and that's like <laughs> it. Well, one of the other things with it is though, as well, we, we've had inflation, and the fact that like you yeah. know, a dollar bill is not yeah. something you can really use anymore. Yeah, you know, well, like exactly. yeah. bigger dollars yeah. and stuff like that, and we just don't have the bills to cover it. You know, we still keep them the same as they've always been. Yeah. But yes, yeah. the value is so you have to carry more. Right? It's actually interesting when you mentioned just the idea of like the and sort of getting, t- getting back to privacy type stuff. You talked about the idea of like those old credit card scanners yeah. and the fact that people would steal credit. 
credit cards off of those where they'd actually they stole the carbon paper out of the yeah. middle. If yeah. anybody, people hopefully remember what carbon paper was. Yeah, for those of you <laughs> who, are, who are under a certain age, there used to be like three sheets of paper, and yeah. when you wrote on the first sheet, it would just bleed through to the second and third sheet. Well, the second and, sheet literally was a sheet of carbon, yeah. and so the pressure placed on it would cause the carbon to just have the same pattern on yep. the third sheet. My, my, my dad had a business at the time, and so he used to have to do a ton of carbon and carbonless paper. It was and a chemical to, version. And they had to send those in. Yeah. Hence carbon copy, CC, for those of you in the email era. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where CC comes from and why it's called carbon copy. is because literally assistants, when you typed a letter, would put a carbon sh- paper in and then another piece of paper so they type two exact copies of the letter. Well, we are old. <laughs> <laughs> People complain on this show that we talk too much about the 80s and, you know, this isn't even the 80s. This is like... No, oh my gosh, that, 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 is, that is some old technology. Uh, but yeah, so I think the thing you, you know, when you had that, that was a big issue at the time. With yeah. the idea that they were like people would steal credit card numbers by literally they would get these carbons because obviously the carbon would still have the imprint based mm-hmm. upon where the carbon had come through, and they stole that from credit card numbers. So I mean, we're looking at this idea of, of sort of digital technology being new, but this is not a new. Problem. The underlying no, issues have been are, there for a while. That's still personal data too. Yeah. Right under these new laws, we talk about data and we naturally think of electronic data, right? But no, data is information. In this in this idea, and under these laws, and so those would be protected as well. That's kind of concerning, isn't it? When we think about the idea that sort of this modern law designed to so, deal with Facebook and Cambridge Analytics is covering carbon paper. Well, well and then the, think about forgotten, the right to be forgotten. Yeah. So you have all that paper. Do you have an somewhere. obligation to shred all that? Well, then you run into <laughs> problems where I've got a records, you know, uh, keeping obligation under law A. You know, if I'm in a certain type of regulated industry, I've got to maintain whatever three, five, seven years of records for tax purposes <laughs> or whatever. But then somebody else also has the right to force me to shred that paper. So, so there are exceptions to those rights. They are not. They are not um, unilateral rights. They are conditioned rights, and so. There are, if you have a continuing legal obligation or you're still in the process of performing under the contract, whether it be the purchase of the sweater or other things, obviously I cannot fulfill my obligation to send you the sweater if you tell me to forget your address. <laughs> and so there are exceptions within these laws. And, and you know, it's, it's going to kind of come out in the wash. These are very new. They've all come into effect in 2018 or are coming into effect you know, in 2020 with regards to the new California mm-hmm. law. We should and, talk about that one, too. Yeah. So, um, but the thing is, is that we don't know how they're actually going to be put into practice for the most part. And and so, in California, they passed a new law this summer. It was in response to a referendum that was going to be on the ballot. And it is called the California Consumer Privacy Act. And it has a very expansive definition of what is protected personal information under that law. And that's where this household idea, it is anything that could identify a natural person and that natural person being a resident of California and, or their household. And so... Um, it's kind of a nebulous concept, right? It, it is a totally nebulous concept. Household adds a whole nother layer in that it is not actually me as a person. It's me as a family unit or a group of people who live in one place. And so... I'd imagine California has some strange definitions of households. <laughs> yeah, if any place is going to get into, you know, yeah. non-traditional families, exactly. it's definitely going to be California. Exactly. And so... It creates a whole nother level for of complexity for the companies who need to comply with this. And basically, this there is a the jurisdictional provision under this has if you do business in California and you have a certain number like fifty thousand, I think. Wow. Can't remember off the top of my head. A certain number of people, or certain, certain number like a of dollar amount threshold, and, too. and a dollar yeah. amount threshold. Uh, you know, so like a mom and pop hardware store in South Carolina, they don't have to worry about it. They shouldn't. Yeah. They shouldn't have to worry about it. <laughs> Emphasis gonna, on the word "shouldn't." <laughs> well, you know. So if you if you have actively purged information, right? Since there's a person limit, if they happen to have a number of people who, you know, if they were had an online business where they were selling into California and they had a number of people in their database that they hadn't gotten rid of. They could maybe hit it, right? So one of the things that we are counseling our clients on is that to be proactive in, you know, getting rid of information you no longer need, right? That is a requirement under most of these laws. Getting You also then don't have to protect it and spend the money to have security on it. Um, also, you know, be smart about what you gather 
from your customers. Because if you don't need it, don't have it. There's like a pack ratting trend, right? Where oh. people are like, well, I, I can get this information. Let's well, grab it all. We might want it someday. We might want it someday. We might want it. Yeah. We don't need it. Yeah. We might want it. Don't do the might want it. <laughs> That's a good example. I mean, we sort of get into this idea. When we talked about the idea of sort of what the law of this privacy regulation is, one of the things I think to definitely get into is what are we so worried about? You know, in conjunction yeah. with this, you know, obviously there's the issue of sort of direct identity theft and the, hey, somebody who gets enough information about you can steal, can get credit cards in yep. your name, can sort of do those kind of things. But that's sort of the identity theft regulation as we look at, we had 20 years ago. It seems like right now what our real concern is, is that this data is being used in a way that scares us. Um, and it scares you, you kind of, you know, is that where these regulations are coming from? And the fact that was just, there's so much more data about us now. So again, like taking the Cambridge analytics case, I think is a, I think that was the name of the company, right? Yeah. Now. Um, the, uh, the thing we've gone into the Cambridge analytics case is people looking at it and going, I'm really kind of offended that my information was used that way. Mm-hmm. It's not to say it was incorrect. It's not to say oh, yeah. that sort of they right. targeted you inaccurately or anything else like that. Now, obviously, some people at will. These are all statistical engines that are doing this. Mm-hmm. We're just offended that sort of people made that connection about us. And is that, I mean, are we worried well, we that we made what the this connection is? and we were stupid enough to believe it, yeah. right? That's the other part. We, we are, if you look at the uses of that information in terms of, you know, elec- the elections, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all the dog whistle politics, that worked. Right? <laughs> and it worked because we had all this data about all these people and we could target, you know, or we, not we, not me, not me personally. You know. <laughs> the Russians. Um, so, or was so, it Facebook? Right. We the could, royal we. The, 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 the czarist we, maybe. The Manchurian candidate is in here. Or maybe it's the Mandalorian candidate. The Mandalorian candidate. <laughs> So whoever this was, they were upset. I mean, we're upset that we were pretty much stupid enough to fall for it, right? I mean, that ultimately is where a lot of this has come from. I mean, there is total outrage that some external parties could control our election. That is a whole separate discussion that I'm sure you guys will get into at some point. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. right? well, there's, there's an issue we get into with the idea of spying. Yeah, and obviously yeah. there's right. sort of who gets to do these kind of things and stuff along those lines. But I, I love the kind of way you put it where it's the, you know, we're stupid enough for this to have worked. Now, obviously, we are we are manipulated by marketing on a daily basis. I mean, yeah. the television ad, it was not created, you know, because of the fact that we thought it was good entertainment. It was created to sell us stuff. Well, and on some right. level, we know that, even though it still works. Like, I was, yeah. I was talking to somebody, this was a long time ago, I was talking of somebody who's saying, I don't understand why companies still advertise. It doesn't work. I said, well, along those lines, I'm really hungry. Let's go to the vending machine. What candy bar should I get? And they said, get a Snickers, of course. Like, why? It yeah. satisfies. Why? Cause Snickers, um, yeah, because you watch the commercial. That's why you think that. If you ever want a question, if you ever want the answer to the question of whether TV marketing works, um, ask your four-year-old what they want for their birthday. <laughs> it will be whatever was the most recent commercial on that horrible mm-hmm. TV show you let them watch for five minutes, right? <laughs> it it will be some you know pillow pet or something <laughs> some that you have to write exactly yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> we got three of those in our house yeah I mean it is it is amazing and you know they only want the sugary cereals because that was the commercial they saw right mm-hmm. and so um, it was a really eye opening experience for me when my children were four or five and actually started watching commercial TV. And just sort of the, and, the fact that how readily they could be manipulated. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, astonishing. And still to this day are manipulated because, you know, of course, we have a million Fortnite costumes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something we've gone to a little bit on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Because none, of, none of us play Fortnite, they which is sort of some amusing yeah. thing. We haven't gotten into that much. Yeah, my kids haven't gotten into that one. Well, in, in addition to sort of the, the subtle manipulation of marketing and advertising, there's also the potential for, for direct misuse. And I, Kirk, I think I told you about this. So one of the data breaches, I don't know, 10 years ago was a LinkedIn or a Yahoo or something where a bunch of plain text passwords got out. Uh, and that's it. It was just a, a login and, and a password for like like a, a, a Yahoo email. I don't know if it was Yahoo or not, but, but uh, ancient history, old news. And then earlier this year, I got an email at my personal email address, which I never use for anything and haven't for 10 years. Uh, and the subject of the email was that old password. So it immediately had my attention that my password was in the subject matter and the body was basically an attempt to blackmail me into paying this person, I don't know, $3,000 in Bitcoin under some threat that he had video of me doing unsavory <laughs> things from my webcam. <laughs> I didn't have a webcam. So I knew this was nonsense, but you can imagine people who, who are not paying attention
attention and have something to hide. It'd be like, oh no, I gotta You're go. Grandmas, yeah. you know, but again, the fascinating thing yeah. with that is it's it's this nature of something to hide. You know, he's arguing, hey, I have webcam of you doing something in the privacy of your house. Yeah. You know, which you don't want to be made public. Why are we so worried? Well, I told, you know, him, I told him to go ahead and release it. I told him I'm an adult film model, so <laughs> yeah, right. my career. <laughs> you showed me your response, which was pretty darn which, hilarious. Which he, he, of course, ignored. But <laughs> you were hoping it was coming out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you wanted all those dings on your on your profile. <laughs> but you know, but it's again, it's so much of it comes down to this. You know, is what we're worried about here. I mean, this is not you know sort of umbrella corporation. You know, that's going to go out and you know turn us all into Resident Evil zombies. Um, you know. What are we worried about being done with this information? I mean, why are we worried, essentially, in, in some respects, about being blackmailed by a company to buy their product? Like some which of it's probably just basic anyway. consumer protection stuff where, you know, we're, we're all pretty smart people, as are all of our listeners, so none of them are going to get taken in. <laughs> but you all know people who will get suckered in by stuff like this and, you know, ransomware attacks, things like that, or even the, the Cambridge thing. We're, we are being manipulated constantly, and not everybody, I mean, we're not even alert for it all the time. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, the the identity theft thing is real. Yeah, identity right? theft is unquestionably yeah. real. And that's, I think a lot of that is the idea that they're getting a digital identity of you. I mean, we've seen this, you know, science fiction shows have played around with the idea of digital identity. You know, somebody steals yeah. the communicator from one of the Star Trek, Babylon yeah. 5, name your favorite sci-fi thing, and becomes them for a while and impersonates them and causes all sorts of trouble. That, well, they also have the shifting capability. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. yeah, we have shapeshifters. We've had that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> it's not like that's not been out there as to what it is. Yeah. And obviously there's that idea of sort of the nefarious purpose. But again, and you sort of look at it and say, that's not blackmail. And it was done in the, you know, most of the times when it's done in those kind of things, it's done for like a military purpose. Like we're going to sabotage the military mm-hmm. or we're going to destroy something, you know, those types of things. So, you know, somebody stealing my idea cannot launch nuclear, you know, stealing my identity cannot launch nuclear missiles. That's what you want. I don't think. have access to that. <laughs> you know, you can steal it or you like. I, there's no way you can launch a nuclear missile with it um, unless somebody's already stolen it and somehow I've already been faked and who knows. But, um, have, you, have either of you read The President is Missing, the Bill Clinton, James Patterson book? Huh. No, actually. Oh, so oh, that's too bad. You haven't read it. Because what you're actually talking about is a little bit about what is in that book. I mean, basically, okay. the premise of this book is these people have the ability to shut down the Internet. Right? And they shut it down in the U.S. And it will be wiped completely. All of the data that's on any of the servers that are on the internet would mm-hmm. be wiped completely. So everyone loses all of their health information. They lose all of their uh, retirements. They lose all their banking information because those are all electronically held, right? Yep. And and um, for me as an IT lawyer, this book was like really intellectually stimulating. <laughs> I enjoyed the book, but just the thought process of okay, so we this would be obviously the the logins and the user IDs for all of those servers are personal data. Yeah. And so um, someone has found a way to gather all of the information that's out there and trigger each of these servers and each of these, you know, components and, and software applications, blah, 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 blah. Some way, if they could gather all that information and shut us down, we would be dark, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We, we would... We would have nothing. Well, New York blackout and, shut down Wall Street just because they had no power. Right. And and <clears throat> we no longer know how to be hunter gatherers. <laughs> right? I mean, uh, let's let's be honest. No, um, my neighbor's a Marine, of the fittest, so if the apocalypse happens, I'm moving in with him. Survival of the fittest, I am not the fittest. I will not survive. No, right? I, will be, I will be passing so, through the digestive system of wolves. <laughs> 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 That's exactly right. You know, like, we... I, I would, if I don't know how to use the electric start on the um, fireplace, you know, we don't have heat. <laughs> but we watch and a lot so, of Naked and Afraid, so I like to think I just know how to start a fire. I know in theory how to start a fire. I did it once in Scouts without a match. I once. did it. Once. See, again, survival of the fittest. I am not fit and I will not survive. <laughs> and so um, it, it is, there is a sense that gathering all this information could conceivably have catastrophic effect. And that was really the, while I was reading this book, was me as the geeky uh, information technology lawyer was thinking, you know, one of the fears with gathering all of this personal data and, and not having control over who has it is that whether it be us 
as a country or North America or just me personally, someone could shut me down and make my life miserable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And whether that's why would someone pick a small town lawyer in the middle of the Midwest, I don't know. But I think we all have that slight fear in the back of our mind that people could, for some reason, try to target us and use this information that I have oh so easily put out into the atmosphere and um, use it to hurt me. I think there's also concerns, in, in addition to private actors maliciously doing stuff, there's always the fear, it's a sort of a libertarian thing, but of, of the state, you know, using this information in an improper way, like predictive policing and things like that. Yeah. But yeah. you talked about Minority Report the other day, something like that, where you can use data and statistics to, to identify, you know, high crime areas or high probability individuals. Someone who's Maybe you monitor them yeah, more yeah. closely. And then I just, again, this morning, I was, I was kind of doing a little research for the episode, and there was somebody talking about how science scientists are working on a way to directly scan brain waves that based on you know the EM signals your brain gives off you can you can estimate what people are thinking about you know and if it got to the point where you actually had technology to read thoughts you know are, are we are we approaching the area of genuine tinfoil hattery where, <laughs> where well, you could take those you know you could take those estimations ba- and base it upon the existing personal data that's out there with yeah. regard to you and come pretty close Right, obviously, I mean, Cambridge doing. Analytics yeah. <laughs> came really close, you know, yeah. and could and could you know make me make the marketing and other things that are sent to me those that are going to appeal to me most. Yeah. Well, wasn't there that famous story of it was Target or somebody, but but a woman oh. was was pregnant and didn't know it and kept getting stuff a for daughter. babies. A daughter, it was a daughter, yeah. daughter. Yeah. that made it even worse. Right, yeah. the dad came out. And she was a minor, I believe. Minor, yeah. yeah, and and Target because of the purchases they were making and things her, like, they were looking stuff. at. Sent her coupons and Dad for baby marched stuff. in and said, "How dare you?" Exactly. They're like, "We're sorry." Ah. It turns out she was pregnant. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's not the way you want to tell your parents something like that. <laughs> exactly. But it's, and it is interesting though when you when you sort of contemplate this. And the thing I always get into with it though, when we talk about the idea of like, "Hey, this is accurate" and stuff like that. It's accurate in the fact that it's a predictive engine. So I was going to yeah. say it's accurate. 80% of the time, which when you're talking about, hey, I want to get more people to vote for X candidate, or I want to get more people to buy X product, or I want to do something along those lines, the fact that it's going to appeal to 80% is what I'm looking for, because I'm trying to say I want it to appeal to 80% versus 50%, because that's eight buyer, buyers versus five yeah, buyers for need, every 10 I approach. only need 51%, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know? um, yeah. And that kind of thing where I'm trying to sort of you know do this kind of sways, and that makes sense. But you've also obviously got the 20% that get wrongly targeted. And that's, I wonder how much of this is also the question. If we take something like Minority Report, and I think what's constantly approached in AI and a lot of the stuff in these the, the discussions with this, is not that we have a problem when predictive policing is accurate. We have a problem when predictive policing is Inaccurate. Well, so along those lines, you know, we we as lawyers do a lot of online research for things, and like Kirk, you and I do IP practice. Yeah. So I'm often searching the web for specimens of used to submit with trademarks, and so I'm looking for specific goods and examples of things. And so my browsing history gets <laughs> polluted with stuff I have no personal interest in. But since my Chrome is shared, you know, I have the same settings everywhere. I get home and log in, and I get advertisements for things that I've been searching for today. For you know, so I get advertisements for dental implants. I don't need dental implants. And uh, and I'm like, you know, it's, you see those things and you're like, oh, yeah, because I was, okay. So yeah, I've learned like, okay, log out of the browser before <laughs> I do that to avoid screwing up my history. But then I think maybe I don't care. Maybe I want it to be as confusing and useless as possible. Um, but, but then every once in a while I'll get an ad like on Facebook and I'll see it and I'll think, what have I done? in the last month to make anybody mm. think I would be interested in this. Well, the other part of the, you know, incorrect thing is that, um, you know, we take a lot of pride in the fact that we make educated decisions, uh-huh. right? And so the idea that they get it right most of the time kind of puts a nick into that assumption because, you know, maybe I didn't make that much of an educated guess. I just went on what I always do. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so it kind of takes a hit on our pride as to, you know, I I was I was I was not making this really educated, informed decision. <laughs> I was just doing what I always yeah. do, right? Yeah. You know, I might as well just go drink some beer instead of researching that online. Right? <laughs> That Which, sounds good, too. That's <laughs> 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 what we should be doing it now instead. <laughs> but, you know, there is a pride aspect to it. There is a, the, 
you know, you also don't want anyone to steal you. You think of yourself as this individual who is, you know, all the your history and your makeup and all of this, and I'm nothing like anyone else. But you know what? It <laughs> appears as though I'm a lot like a bunch of other people <laughs> yeah, exactly. who got the exact same information. <laughs> Which, what I do think is interesting, though, and I comment about that. So I, I actually, very early on, I got to do some some patent work involving a lot of sort of some of the early tracking systems that used cookies and things like that. And a lot of the way that you used to actually do a lot of the advertising is you were essentially assigned a, a number mm-hmm. that came to your cookie file, and that's how they identified you. And obviously, if you cleared your cookie file out, it deleted the number, and they sort of had to reset um, the whole things with it. But when I learned all this, one of the things I used to do, and I did it every so often for fun, I'd go in, and I wouldn't delete my cookie file, but I'd change the number. Just to <laughs> see, see what, what I got, because obviously now it's identifying me as a different person. Yeah, um, and I did this three or four times, and it was just kind of amusing to see what I get. Until the I, I picked somebody whose tastes were something I definitely did not want to be receiving. Which <laughs> 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 time I decided this was probably a bad idea and, and stopped doing it. So um, um, you both know I'm the mother of triplets, and and. Um, so our last name is McAuliffe. My triplets were born in 2006. They're actually, and I have boy-boy-girl triplets. Okay. Um, there is actually another set of McAuliffe triplets born in the St. Louis area in 2006 <laughs> oh, that are boy-boy-girl triplets. And, you know, talking about min- Minority Report and all these other things, right? Those are, those are some pretty big triggers, right? Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. How many can there be? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, there's not I, that many triplets born every year. So, yeah. you know, let's say... And to make to make it even funnier, the dad of this set of triplets, he's a lawyer. So, um, so you know, you take that. Well, what if they had done this crime, right? Or they were ready to commit this crime? And you go, well, we're looking for a woman who has triplets, who has, you know, boy, boy, girl triplets born in two thousand six. It's a lawyer in the family. Yeah, lawyer Hmm. in the family. They could easily come hit me (laughs) instead of. You know, yeah. this other mother of triplets, right? And my poor daughter, she's got the same birthday as me. She's going to have a lifetime of explaining that to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I got two signers down with the same birthday. What's the chances of that? Well, it's actually girl- not that uncommon. Yeah. I have a girlfriend who is the second wife of a gentleman, and his first name, her first wife was named Anne, and her name is Anne. <laughs> she has an E, so she's always like, does it have an E? <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to get into, you know, the Henry the Eighth I am, I am. That's making the money Python jokes here, um, but yeah, that, it's it's interesting when we talk about that kind of thing and the 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 concept I like of this sort of you know individuality and and that this harms our pride. You know how yeah, much of this I is our so. is our privacy is literally it's the we want these things to be private because we don't want it to be pointed out that we're more predictable than we think we are. Exactly, I think um, there's a huge component of that. We're upset because our pride got hit <laughs> and it didn't seem to be too hard. Yeah, and that's this, it's really right? kind of stunning. Now, admittedly, we've got two thousand years of learning how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we've also got a lot of just Ron Swansons out there who who their pride's not taking a hit. They just stubbornly insist, "I don't want people to know stuff about me because I don't," and that's yeah. all the reason I need. Oh yeah, I find I find really you have techies are one of two ways. They're either that. Right, mm-hmm. I don't let any of my stuff out. I've covered up every camera that might <laughs> yep. be. You know, I don't have I don't have my camera on my phone. You know, all of those things. Or they're just like, I know it's out there. I can't control it. I just gotta live with it and let it go. Yep. You don't have. It's usually one or the other. Well, there was yeah. an interesting case involving uh, an actual use of law enforcement and uh, sort of big data. This was in 2009, right when my first year at the firm. Um, a guy was uh, – a warrant was issued for the arrest of some guy in the United States based on uh, you know drug trafficking charges, marijuana, stuff like that. And so he fled to Canada. And the only information the police had about him besides his name is that he played some sort of warlocks and witches video game. Well, they quickly figured out it was World of Warcraft. And so on a lark, the police subpoenaed Blizzard and said, do you have any login information for anybody matching this name? And about four months later, Blizzard's like, yeah, he logs in every day from Canada. <laughs> Here's the address of the account because, of course, you got to give an address for the, for the bill and that kind of stuff. And so they contacted the Canadian law enforcement people who found him, arrested him, and sent him back to the United States because he was playing Warcraft. All the oh, time. hilarious. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the other one I think is interesting we talk about the sort of the predictive engines. And I remember this because we still, we did this class when I was in law school, this case when I was in law school. They actually had a case, it was a paternity suit. We did it in torts, interesting enough, and sort of related to evidence. And we were studying standard of proof and what does it mean to be sort of the level of standard of proof. And what you found out is that according to the DNA test, this guy was the father 
Um, but the DNA tests are 99% accurate. And the question with it is, is does that meet standard of proof? You know, and, and the answer to it is, is probably for virtually every level of standard of proof. Mm-hmm. Then as the case pointed out, however, he was medically sterile. So it couldn't have been him. So it couldn't have been him. So how do you bump into this issue where it's, there's a 99% chance he is and a 100% chance he's not? not. We could do a whole episode on standard wow. of proof. Like that's one of those yeah. areas of the law that non-lawyers just do not understand how important that is and why, why you get cases that have weird outcomes, like criminal justice cases where people are like, well, he clearly did it, so why is he, why is he not guilty? Yeah. Well, the standard of proof is why. Yeah, and that kind of thing. But I think there's one of those things where you talk about it is that sort of that error you know, type of yeah. thing where you look at this, and I think we would have looked at it and said— any other fact scenario, we would have said, of course he is, except for the fact that when we're then presented with this one opposing fact, which just happened to be true in that particular case, yeah. no, he's not. Um, but then you also got a question and go, wait, it's a 99 and a 100. Is there a possibility one of them is actually wrong? And maybe it's the 100 is actually wrong. And then you start sort of double questioning those types what of things. What about identical but, twins? Identical yeah. twins. Is that the same? I wonder. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, t- I don't know how the you know, sort of how the tests would work and everything else. I don't yeah, because I mean, identical them. twins are are much rarer, obviously, than yeah. just uh, regular twins. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that would. Yeah, play I don't out. know how DNA tests would because they're not they're not completely genetically identical. Yeah. Just very very similar. I know they right? did right. just solve, solve the, the the cold case in conjunction where they got DNA evidence because somebody's like you know third cousin yeah. sent in a you know twenty eight me or whatever and something oh, right. identified yeah, about that. they ran the information well, that's a whole separate thing case. is people yeah. who voluntarily surrender DNA <laughs> to private companies to go look things up my dad I kind of want to do that though <laughs> my dad did so I didn't have to so I know I know where half of me comes from but I already knew Germany but again it's that kind of thing where we kind of look at it and say we kind of want that information like we want that information it's fun but for us to get that information we have to surrender I mean let's yeah. say what let's say about personally identifiable DNA information i think dna meets that criteria without any stretch i, I want to get that dma and then i want to make my claim for them to forget it like two days later yeah. see that's that ship sailed for me because so i got i got two autistic kids and we participated in a study through watch you where they sequenced my entire genome and that of my wife and children so <laughs> that's all out there somewhere now it's anonymized it's not connected to me but if you find DNA studies from WashU involving, I don't know, Subject 9, it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know if you find anything interesting. <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's the other piece of it is it's, we've also talked with the idea of anonymization, you know, with this. Yeah. And, and some of that is being, you know, we've always accepted there's some level of information which is collected from us, but we want it to be anonymized. Now we're saying it doesn't even, it, the anonymization isn't enough. It's got to be destroyed. It's got to be removed. Well, and people, I think, have a false sense of anonymity online, too. And we've done subpoenas before to track people down who are posting stuff or doing things, and they think they're hidden behind their ISPs and their IP numbers. But that's yeah. if you know what you're doing, it takes about a, you know, about a month, and you can get through all that and, and find stuff. Now, there's ways around that, too. You can get VPNs and bounce stuff off of Europe. But <laughs> your, your, your casual internet user... I don't know will... anything about that bouncing stuff <laughs> off other countries. I have no idea mm. why we get to watch, you know, Now we're the getting into girls dragon tattoo. And <laughs> 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 like that. Well, anyway, I think it's uh, uh, yes. probably about time for Billy has to run here, unfortunately. Yep. So we're going to let her run. Um, Thank you. We're going to have a brief cut, I think, as we you know, edit the tape to let her get out of here. Yep. But then we will be right back. So for you guys, it's going to be like a, you know, eighth of a second drop but for us it's probably going to be a couple minutes alrighty okay thanks Thank Billy you. thanks a lot okay and we're back this, this, you guys don't realize it but literally hours went by yeah no. it's like three. no it's not no, it not. took it like a couple, couple minutes, minutes. <laughs> okay so uh, it was great having Billy on and now we're going to talk about um, uh, general geek stuff I don't have any case updates I was going to look up some of the cases we've been following but I uh, didn't have time uh, so I thought we'd talk about some, uh, some and we're dis- still operating without notes we weren't able to go get them in the break yeah yeah well so one of the things we haven't talked about The Mandalorian yet which is the new <laughs> Star Wars live action TV show yep. uh, and the only the only thing I know about it is that John Favreau is attached to direct. There's I think. a lot of impressive people who seem to be attached. I just to it saw right now. the other day Werner Herzog is going to be yep. in it of all yeah. people. <laughs> Werner Herzog, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I mean, I love it. He's a terrifying person on on camera. Uh, and then who else did I see was on there? Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's one more that I can't remember who it was now. But I was just, I couldn't believe it. Nick Nolte. 
Oh, okay. I don't think I've seen that one. But yeah, yeah. Uh, or maybe I did see that one. Maybe I did. I'm just account. trying to imagine a Star Wars, <laughs> a Star Wars show that has those people on well, it. You have, you have trouble with one of the things in Star Wars that you kind of got to bump into is because it is all aliens and sort of specific personas. Known actors could have an issue of sort of you know being too identifiable in some respects. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the Mace Windu problem. I mean, yeah. he was a bit too well known of an actor. At well, the time and I think Samuel L. Windu. Jackson was miscast in that role. I, I, I'm not sure he was miscast in the role. I think the role was miswritten. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we talked about this earlier today that the Mace Windu character was supposed to be this, like, obnoxious, rebellious, disobedient, uh, you know, part of the, the Jedi group, but in the prequels, we never really saw any of that. He just sort of walked around and, and mumbled things to Yoda yeah. and, then, and then calmly walked off scene, and that, that's it. <laughs> although, although, if we're talking about typecasting actors, aren't we really talking about the fact that we violated the privacy because we've now decided that there's a better chance that they'd perform better in this kind <laughs> of a role? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and again, just sort of to return us back to our, our original position, you know, of what we were getting into with Billy— how much of the things do we bump into with this where we, we do this on a daily basis, we talk about this on a daily basis, we talk about what we expect, what we see, and we don't realize that in some sense what we're doing is making statistical determinations. Well, I mean, with actors in particular, I mean, the degree of privacy, as much as we can complain about not having any privacy, they have virtually, virtually no, none. Yeah. Entire, their entire non-public lives are dedicated to keeping them that way because yeah. there's paparazzi following them everywhere. Because we're so fascinated by them and we're so fascinated by sort of what's out there. But yeah, and that's, you know, even talking about the idea with this news thing here, we're, we're worried about whether or not people have associated with it. And I'm trying to remember, was it, was it Warner Herzog? One of the, the people had actually made a comment that they were attached to a large project they couldn't talk about. Yeah. And everybody assumed it was Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he said it was a movie and it's technically a TV show. Yep. And Although, I mean, these long format TV shows are basically like 12 hour movies that you consume yeah. in two hour chunks. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, or as we now consume in like 13 hour chunks because we binge them when they come out. I was listening to um, a podcast the other day about movies and they were talking about how the way movie lengths were selected, it used to not be two hours. It used to be you just go to the movie and you buy a ticket and you sit for as long as you wanted and yeah. watch a bunch of 15 or 20 or, or hour long uh, you know, movies. And what they figured out is you can maximize profit by having everybody buy a ticket to one show, and you want the show to be as short as possible to where they'll still uh, sit through the movie, but long enough that they feel that they get the value, but not so long that after you've stuffed them full of soda and water, <laughs> they got to get up and go to the bathroom. And what they figured out is two hours is about the sweet spot. Long enough you feel like you're getting to experience a show, but not so long that you're going to have people start to, to not be able to sit still. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because didn't, didn't we just – say 80% of the people can sit for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, and again, I think that's the, the sort of whole thing. We keep getting back into sort of these things with it. I think that's what's so fascinating about this topic. And having to put the, the law of this first, hopefully you guys are okay with that, you know, sort of us, you know, bantering oh, here yeah. afterwards. But it's one of those things with... This is a topic that really pervades so many things and things that are out there. You see it in so much science fiction. You see it in the ideas of this, who is a person, the holding of secrets, the stuff like that. It's a problem we're really dealing with in some respects for the first time, even though it's a problem that's existed for 2,000 years. Yeah, like I said earlier, the the policy issues are it's it's going to be more and more interesting because it's not it's not clear to me where this is going it's clear to me from a legal perspective that we're marching towards a, a comprehensive federal um, overarching regulatory scheme at some point because until now we've just sort of picked off specific areas like health or finance or like COPPA, the children's privacy act yep. you know and this is sort of typical federal government stuff where we just find one specific problem solve that one narrow problem and that's it and yeah. then don't go do anything that's that's you know more more broadly drafted to cover a comprehensive regulatory scheme the way Europe has, but that has downsides too. Now we've got all these different state regimes. We didn't get to talk about it with Billy, but like Illinois has a biometric privacy act where you have certain rights to control people doing facial scanning and things like that yeah. of you. And so if you're going to do business in Illinois, you got to comply with this thing. So if you want to have like a I don't know, like a security company that's scanning people going into a concert to look for, yeah. you know, uh, you know, wanted felons or something. Well, you got to get their permission before you can do that. And yet, I think we see this. This is technology that you know. You watch really any science fiction, anything that's sort of you know set in the future. We presume is ubiquitous. Yeah. You know, that we're scanning faces, that we can identify people in crowds, that we can do all this kind of things with it. So I think it's very interesting that we're kind of fighting against it. And I actually like Billy's comment about we're fighting against it because of our pride. At the same yeah. time, and I think there's a, there's a great comment to that. Um, yet we're seeing sort of the, the idea that, again, when it's right, we want it. 
Um, One thing that does bother people, even when it's right, like, so I go on Facebook, and obviously about two-thirds of my web traffic is going to be Iowa Hawkeyes crap. (laughs) So when I go on Facebook, I'm not the least bit surprised that I'm being presented with all kinds of ads to buy Iowa stuff. I don't mind. I find cool stuff every once in a while. On principle, I never click on it because I don't want to reward these advertisers. This is just me kind of being disobedient. I will literally (laughs) go search for the thing separately on on, 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 on Chrome and buy it that way. I don't know why I do that. This is me as a former IT guy just being disobedient for the sake of it, but yeah. but you know, but then when it's when it's wrong, I'm super annoyed, and especially when it's wrong for dumb reasons. See, like when it's wrong, saying, I think it's funny. But that's the- it depends on what it is. Like when I'm getting offered dentures and stuff, I'm just like, all right, it's 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 not. It doesn't bother me any, but I I can see why, depending upon what you search for and what's coming up, why you might be frustrated or disturbed or or just not like that people have figured out these things about you. And it's not because they're wrong. It's especially if they're right. I can see people, you know, who get presented certain kind of ads just being upset. Yeah, and that's – it makes some sense with it. And again, I think it's – as soon as you put anything out there as opinions, you bump into – you bump into all these kind of issues as to what it is, and this is this is a bigger issue than we can get yeah. into in this show. You know, obviously, I mean, there's all sorts of issues. We touched, with, you know, we touched on constitutional issues. We touched on other issues here, but I think a lot of the point of this issue is to point out the fact episode is to really point out the fact that like privacy and privacy laws is something which is actually very pervasive and is so part of our culture and our our even geek culture, you know, sort of that, that comes in that we have to deal with it on a daily basis. We don't necessarily realize it. We don't realize we're interacting with these things. I mean, you guys listening to this, you know, in the course of doing that, I mean, if you download this podcast from one of the podcast sites, they're probably suggesting other podcasts because of downloading this. Yeah. I mean, we, we have access to, to data analytics through, um, who do we use? SoundCloud? Yeah, whichever one. I mean, they don't give us does. a lot of details, uh, but we, you get to see how many downloads there are, what countries they're from, which episodes get listened to. I mean, you guys know all this just from us talking about it on the show. Um, and there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, and just really available information. So is there anything else you've been doing? I've, I've actually watched quite a lot of movies, amusingly enough here, partially because I've been watching them on my treadmill now. Well, you're telling me you've been, you're almost done with Clone Wars? So I'm, I've been through the first season of Clone Wars. Um, I've been doing that in conjunction with my son. He really wanted to watch it. Um, I'd, I'd gotten the, I wanted to see the Clone Wars, I wanted to see Rebels, and so I'd gotten both of them. We finally made it through the first season, and that is a surprisingly good show. So I need to see it. It's, I mean, it's something a kid's show. It's got a lot of morality sort of, you know, sometimes beat you over the head morality issues associated with it. It can be a bit disjointed because you may have three episodes that are immediately linked back to back and then suddenly that's over and we're moving to a wholly different plot line, different mm-hmm. planet, you know, 200 years later um, type of thing. And so it can be a bit disjointed from that respect. But it's just as a show, like it's, it's I find it to be a very entertaining show. And it is actually making... Episode three and, and even in some sense episode two make a little more sense. I was going to say, because it's set between two and three, yeah. right? And, it, and I was going to ask you, does it change your your like read on episode three? I, I haven't seen a lot of it yet. What I really see that I think is nice is it does make Anakin a more interesting character. We got I'm more not room sure to it, let him grow and yeah. breathe a little bit. It also, though I'm not sure Anakin of episode three fits the Anakin we're seeing right now, who's, you know, playfully disobedient. But I also think it's what, what's cool about it is he does have a Padawan in mm-hmm. Clone Wars and the interaction of him trying to be a teacher and his Padawan pushes him there's a couple things where it's you know like but you're disobedient why shouldn't I be mm-hmm. and it's the well because do as I say not as I do yeah <laughs> I've wondered if maybe that's one of the ways that the prequels didn't work is that it's essentially a character study of one character who were introduced to an episode one you know, but an hour into the movie. So we only get one hour to get to know him, and he's just kind of on the side of the action because he's yeah. a little kid. And then by episode two, he's 10 years older and a completely different character, and by then he's a jerk. Yeah. And so we don't really like him that much, and he just does a bunch of terrible things, and we kind of miss that key growing up part where the character actually develops. He's yeah. trained, and he develops his friendship with Obi-Wan. None of that's really in there. And so I, I wonder if maybe... Maybe the the kind of story that George Lucas wanted to tell in the prequels was just a bad fit for a film trilogy and would be a much better fit if done now in the sort of serialized saga format that we have in streaming. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to see what it would look like if Lucas did, instead of one, two, and three, um, a season one, season two, and season yeah. three, where he had 12 hours to develop these characters and tell a story. And and then, then you can do an entire episode that's just a pod race. Yeah. And that's just the, the point of that one episode. And it doesn't take up 45 minutes of a movie where it's, it's mostly superfluous. Yeah. And it's, it is interesting. But it is, <clears throat> maybe that's part of the reason for The Mandalorian. 
I mean, maybe we're going to see it. Is that's an interesting story? I think a lot of people are fascinated by the story, the Mandalorian story by Boba Fett. And you know, what what are we going to see? You know, are we going to see the idea that hey, this can really fully develop a character in a way that movies just can't? Are we even seeing stuff go that way? It's it, it is interesting. The other the other big movie I watched in this, and it's a movie I've wanted to see for a long time, was Prometheus. Um, and I've not seen the, that one yet. Give you the background of it. So Aliens with an S, the, the plural version, was probably the first scary movie I ever saw. Um, I think it's safe to say that as to what it is. Yep. Even that's, it's a science fiction scary movie. It's not a true horror movie. But I think without any question, both Alien and Aliens are in some sense horror movies. Yeah, Alien is like a suspense horror movie. Alien truly is, a is like movie. an action horror movie. Yeah, um, and, and stuff like that. So it was one of those, and it did profoundly scare me as a child. Like, I found it terrible, but it was also part of the reason I was drawn to it. I loved the universe. I love the concept of what it is. Partially, I've also since discovered I happen to like both Ridley Scott and James Cameron as directors. I like mm-hmm. other things that they've done. I like the way they prepare movies. Um, so, on so I was actually very excited about seeing Prometheus, and it's one of those Who I just had a chance to see it. Prometheus was Ridley Scott. Was it okay? Um, you know, so Ridley Scott did Alien, Alien, the first Alien, one, and, James and then James Cameron, Cameron did Aliens. Okay, yeah, I was Aliens them swapped. Yeah. Um, and that's where you sort of get Aliens is more the action movie. James Cameron. Yeah, well, known it for makes that. sense. It makes Ridley sense, Scott's too. known for the sort of dark, you know, somewhat horror type movies. Um, but the thing that I really want to see with Prometheus, I love the concept of let's have some of the backstory because Alien does kind of start with a few assumptions like the fact that they knew to send the ship there that there was mm-hmm. something there for them to find those things, and that's what Prometheus tries to tell my comments for people who if you've seen Prometheus and I'm going to give a little bit of it away so if you don't want any spoilers you know stop listening now but the story of Prometheus is obviously sort of why does Alien happen the singular Alien happen Aliens happens because of Alien so yep. it's one of those that you can sort of follow we should on. say like, I'm, I assume most people have seen Alien but if you've forgotten it starts out where they yeah. find the pilot in the crash ship, right? Yeah, they go and they go down and they find this this um, I think it's a mining crew. I was trying to remember exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I forget. Goes too. and they they find this wrecked alien ship, which has the alien eggs on board. You have a face hugger jump out, attach itself to Kane, one of the members of the crew. They bring Kane back in. Once the face hugger comes off him, you have the chest burster. They are then hunting through the ship yeah. for the chest burster, not realizing it's growing. And as the alien kills and grows, yeah. yeah. And, and one of the big things I think you bumped into in Alien, and it's it's hard to do now. It's kind of like not knowing who Luke's father is. Yeah. You bump into when Alien when it originally came out, nobody knew what the alien was. And so you had this issue of, oh, the face hugger is the alien. Oh, no, wait, the chest burster is the alien. Oh, no, wait, even that's not you, – you had this idea that like what they're hunting for changed and that that mm-hmm. was a real aspect of what made the movie scary. I didn't even get that because I saw Aliens first. So I'd yeah, seen so did the I. sort of whole pattern of the story um, of what it is, this whole life cycle. But the um, – the thing that 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 was sort of that was the question is why did they know that these eggs were there? You know why did they get sent? You get the idea that it was done on purpose to bring the alien back, but why was it? Prometheus goes into a bit of the idea of how they knew they were there and why they thought they were there, and also why they thought what they thought about them, which mm-hmm. was actually one of I think the better things of Prometheus. What I will tell you about it, it's a beautiful movie. Like if you're like if you like the H.R. Geiger, you know, sort of appearance, the looks as to what it is, the sets are incredible. It's very good. It's very cool to see the bridge of mm-hmm. the ship in Alien, the way it's supposed to be working, mm-hmm. which is kind of done as like a hologram type thing, but it's one of those where it's just, it's a really cool movie. The big problem with it is, is it has some just utterly gaping plot holes that you you almost just laugh at. And, and the one example I gave, and again, I'm going to give a little bit of the movie away, there's a scene in it where you find out, hey, the woman who's sort of the, the head by the corporation or whatever you want to say, I, I, would say, I would have thought she was the captain, except you're very expressly told she's not the captain. She's kind of like the admiral that's mm-hmm. like on board with the captain. She, you find she has, she lives in this life pod on board the ship because she wants to take no risks, and she owns this gigantic robotic surgery machine that can do any kind of surgery. They talk about how wonderful this machine is and all the amazing things it can do. She owns this because she wants to take no risks. She wants to make sure everything is accounted for. Needless to say, there's later on in the scene when one of the characters needs to try to remove what is effectively a prototype chestburster mm-hmm. and knows that that's what it is, goes to have themselves operate in the machine. Well, it's a woman who goes, and she puts in the procedure I need performed as a cesarean section. Logical way to get rid of, essentially, a chestburster. Mm-hmm. The machine then responds with, I'm programmed only for male anatomy. Doesn't make any sense. Which you look at and you're like, wait a minute. The woman who bought this was prepared for every eventuality, and she bought a machine that won't work on herself? That's like when the EU sent that Mars rover and forgot to convert from metric to... <laughs> this is worse. I mean, this is literally the fact that, like, you know, I bought a machine that doesn't work for me so that I'm prepared for, <laughs> by having it. And, and, the thing, and the thing about it is what really sort of bothered me about that particular scene is she then overrides it, figures out a way to get around it to, to, get, the, to get at the, the, mm-hmm. the chest burster. The, so it doesn't the matter. The problem you get with it is it, it didn't matter. 
So what's the point of putting that in the writing in the first place? Yeah, and that was the thing is you had those sort of those kind of things in the writing that was just like uh, they, they, it, it that was so unnecessary and sort of so distracting, distracting yeah. because of what it was. Where you're like, wait a minute, like that didn't work. And that's just one example. There were three or four more examples that were kind of like that. So that's where movies fail for me is when they they set up my expectations for what's going to happen, and then they they play with those expectations in a way that. You know, if in a way that's unexpected but still makes sense and is interesting, it's a fun movie. Yeah. If it's a way that you're like, I don't get it. That's dumb. Why, why are we doing that? I don't understand the motivations of the characters or why things are yeah. working. It just takes me out of the, the film. Well, and particularly with this one, what you bumped into is you bumped into things like how the alien work. Like, you know how the alien's supposed to work because you know the basic yep. life cycle of the alien. They played around with that in conjunction with this. Like, there's a different sort of alien life cycle. The problem with it is, is the alien life cycle didn't necessarily make any sense. And yeah. that's kind of the same thing you were bumping into is it's like, wait a minute, is this supposed to happen? Is this not supposed to happen? It, you know, and I think he was trying to get at that same initial horror type thing of alien, but it just didn't work. Right. So anyway, that's what I've been, you know, primarily watching. It's it is a movie if you're into the aliens or series and so that. And again, I liked I liked all the alien movies. I have to sort of freely admit it. I actually liked AVP. Um, you know, Alien Three needed some work. There's some other ones that needed some yeah. work. But you know, it's it's one of those where if you happen to like that style of movie as to what it is, it's fun to watch just because you recognize it. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that's kind of cool about it. It's kind of fun to revisit these universes yeah. sometimes. And and that was fun to see. And I know there's another one coming. I believe there's another sort of, what's supposed to be the sequel to Prometheus. It's either coming or it's out, um, which is going to sort of continue the story of Prometheus, which could also be an interesting thing to say. Very good. All right, cool. well, we got to wrap it up here. Uh, so there's the music, and it is time to go. Uh, well, I guess first, next time, we're looking at uh, something on video games or something on music, and at some point, we're going to tackle net neutrality. We haven't really figured out what order to do any of that stuff in, yeah. but it's all coming. We primarily wanted to get these two guests on. We wanted to get them in together because of sort of the relationship yeah. between what they're talking about. Yeah, there, there is some there is some reason to the rhyme here, or some rhyme to the reason, yeah. one of the two. All right, well, um, so if you want to, I don't have my sheet in front of me, so we're going to have to wing it. So uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, uh, we are on SoundCloud, we are on uh, iTunes, uh, all, all the platforms, Podbean, uh, and you can find the podcast on Twitter at LGGPod. We, our email is lggpodcast at gmail.com. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm on, <laughs> on Twitter at Benjamin Snyder. stolen our identity. Kirk is at KirkDMN. If you like what you hear, give us a review. The reviews help people find us and uh, help us expand the audience and bring in more listeners. And uh, I think that's it. That's our usual spiel. Uh, Lauren, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded at Cool Fire Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. 